Well, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of The Inforium, a podcast about business, productivity, personal finance, but not a podcast about how to become a better minimalist. You gave me the inspiration for that opening joke. At some point today, you said, don't you have enough gear? Well, or maybe you there said, was so much. Maybe you said, do you think you have too much gear? You were carrying like 18 trillion things down the <laughs> stairs. Sometimes you have to rig up a complex lighting and camera setup in a different room of the house. But it got me thinking. We've set up this cool little podcast setup here. I'm wondering if I can get away with just taking the reel-to-reel off and putting the table right in front of this and filming my videos that way. I'm not sure if I can. The backdrop may not be wide enough. But if I, if I can do that, it is a pain in the butt to move these lights which I have kind of set up for A-roll all over the house to shoot B-roll. So when I purchase my new house, I am heavily considering buying additional key lights and C-stands. So many things. Specifically for going around the house getting B-roll. I'm I'm picturing right now what I'm picturing, because this is almost what happened earlier, is if, (laughs) imagine this, this could make good B-roll for something. We got a shot. And you're coming out of every doorway holding a new stand, but it's all a, a, like the same thing, like a cartoon where it's a, it's like 10 Toms carrying equipment <laughs> because that's, that? that's what it takes. We could probably do for, that for literally all the smallest things. You're like, what's that? We need three seconds of B roll. Let me get about 10 stands and four cameras and we'll find out. Look, sometimes you need a three-point lighting setup, but then you need good backlighting, and then you need a proper lens, and then you might need a slider, and you may need a head that can automatically tilt while you're sliding, and you need sandbags to keep the, the tripod from tilting over when you're using the slider. So, yeah. Yeah. You know what? This is actually unexpectedly related on my behalf. <laughs> I don't know if you planned it this way, but I just realized... This actually makes sense for the topic of this episode. I plan everything, even things That's, that seem completely serendipitous. I've even planned I to plan fail my own plans just to throw you off about the other plans. Oh, yeah. I plan them all. Fair. <laughs> That's a good way to do it. Anything you think I just thought of in the moment, I actually planned that all along, ever but since I when was I fell born. Off, when I fell off my skateboard, I planned that. I did. That was on purpose. I well, didn't want I you realized. to get intimidated by my skill, exactly. so I fell and I scraped my knee realistic blood action. I have to have to make you feel safe. I have to have certain events in my backstory that make me look relatable and human, which is why I'm also ingesting this organic substance, which well, is I very hope, much I necessary for continued biological like, function, like Batman or something. Because if you're implying that you had to plan a dark backstory and a bunch of tragedies had to occur simply to give you the backstory you needed, then I think that this could this could turn you into like a supervillain. Goku's power level rose. After he escaped from hell, there can be only one conclusion. One I must had to go surround myself with tragedy in order to have something to climb out of. <laughs> and so I manufactured the yeah, tragedy. So I, so I made it happen. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Let, okay. Let's, let's get this into our. This is getting weird. Let's get into our topic before we. Yes. I end up in Dante's Inferno. Yeah. For yeah. real. Yeah. Something like that. Devil May Cry is a great game. It uh-huh. is a great game. <laughs> Um, I should have been the one to fill your dark soul with light. That's a great line right there. <laughs> uh, this episode's about some cool YouTube stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because there's much ado about YouTube these days. And you recently hit two comma zero 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 comma zero zero zero, which is a big number. That is a big number of followers. That so you must know commas. something about the YouTubes. Either that or I 
tripped and whoops, my hand slipped and. Hey, that explains success for a lot of celebrities I won't name right now. <laughs> <laughs> did I so actually? So it's possible. Did I actually hit two million subscribers, or did I go into Chrome Inspector and just change <laughs> the value? <laughs> you're just, you're just lying. That's what I've been doing the whole time. That's like the same thing as calling, calling like whatever your most recent posts were, hottest posts on the site. Like, <laughs> like you just called it that. It's not that it's popular. We do have a popular post section on the site. That's we have actual traffic data and knowledge of what posts yes. work, though. So he, here is what I will say. All of the posts in the popular post section are popular. They do have naturally high traffic. Yeah. But I don't put just the top four highest traffic posts there. No. I'm a little more strategic about it. Well, that it. would be a waste of space. It would be. Yeah, I'm like, all right, well, it's August. I should probably put the college packing list front and center in the popular post section. Or it's October. I'm probably going to swap out the college packing list for our studying guides they're all popular they they are all popular but which one you focus on though is strategic here's an interesting little tidbit i've been doing youtube since 2014 i've been blogging since 2010 so four more years of blogging and i went and i i I stretched out google analytics to all time which i think i i think i installed google analytics like four months after i started blogging so i missed out on four months of Nobody that data is log. crucial. I missed out on it. Uh, I think like all time across the entire site, we've made we've gotten like less than forty thousand or forty million page views. Maybe even less than twenty million. I need to go look at it again. Or maybe it was some number that I was like, that's smaller than I thought. Because if you go look at my YouTube channel, it's like over a hundred million views, and my most popular article of all time doesn't even have 400,000 page views. Whereas my most popular video of all time has over 4 million views. People do be watching videos. Yeah. So like... To an extent I cannot understand, personally. YouTube is incredible. You know, 10 years of blogging, and not just blogging, like a lot of research and practice on search engine optimization, on picking the right topics, on making the site super fast, which is something that you've done to bring in as, yeah, all, as many all the people optimizations. as possible. All the, all the optimizations that we could possibly think of and we're not even, the page views aren't even a tenth of what our views are on YouTube. Now, if you want to ask the question of like, what is that traffic worth in terms of revenue versus views, that may be a different ratio. I don't know. I haven't done that calculation, but it's very interesting to me. Yeah. It's like YouTube is incredibly powerful. You know, they always they always say like it Google is, is the powerful. world's biggest search engine, YouTube is the second biggest search engine, which is true, but I have to wonder like for most creators is your biggest potential source of traffic actually YouTube. I mean, the competition there is going to be less than blogging. Mm, yeah. It's going to be Probably. high still and growing, yes. definitely, but blogging I would think would be harder. I think simply so. because it's been around for so many billion years. Yeah, I think if you if it's you old news say the word blogging, people are going to be like, "Well, competing against bloggers, like maybe that's not as hard as competing against YouTubers." But what you're actually competing against are giant media conglomerates, all websites that could possibly like, contain your keywords. Yeah, like like which, dot dash, which used to be about.com, they own like the balance, they own Investopedia, they own um, Thoughtco, like all these huge sites. 
that's who you're competing with. Yeah, I don't know if you've noticed this, actually, but recently I've noticed there are a lot of websites out there. There's a few. There yes. are a lot. And I would posit that there are more websites than there are YouTube channels. There are. Mm-hmm. For now. For now. For now. But yeah, so I guess what we're doing today is answering questions yep. about building YouTube um, channels. So, yeah, so there, there, there aren't going to be a bunch of unrelated reader questions at the end. Sorry for the lack of grab bag, but that's because this whole episode is questions. And Tom, Ooh. you are the one who has the better answers for all of them. So I'm going to ask you these questions. About YouTube, and if you fail to answer one, you have to delete your channel. Commit to this right now. (laughs) I think I'm going to do the Socratic method. (laughs) How do you think that question should be answered, Martin? I'll just answer it wrong, and then you have to delete your channel. (laughs) High stakes. can only learn through answering the question himself. That's going to help me a lot. Figure it out. That's my answer for every one of these questions. Figure it out. Okay. I'm not your dad. That's fair. Tough love. (laughs) So yeah, I guess so, uh, I guess this is this is how we celebrate two million subscribers. Actually, I want to give a shout out to you and my fiance Anna and my editor Tony. And I think Tony was the one who initially organized this. Every, like a bunch of my friends surprised me with he the did, party. He does get the million. credit for that. Honestly, I did not know that you were that close to two million. Yeah, he knew. He he. Uh, Tony's more plugged into that. He asked me. He's like, "Dude, you're getting near two million. What do you want to do?" And I'm like, "Keep making videos." Like. I don't. I don't want to do anything special. No, we we went behind <laughs> your back, Tom. <laughs> Apparently, in in private, he was like, "Screw that, we're doing something." So well executed. It was great. Yeah, shout out to Tony. All right, let's get into these questions for anybody who wants to maybe build a YouTube channel of their own. All right, number one. Mm-hmm. What are the best analytics to keep track of in YouTube Studio? Let's start it off with a confusing numbers question. Mm, what how it, many comments think like say you're cute? That's a pretty decent engagement. Yeah. Let's build a bot that uses APIs to test that so you can find out how many people said you were cute. And then you got to do natural language analysis. To I'm going to go to, it's cute determine count, cutecount.com. I'm going cute. <laughs> to. Just sounds like the, the app that Mark Zuckerberg built before Facebook. <laughs> Wasn't it like hot or not or something like that? I don't know. Mm. Okay. So uh, there are a lot of analytics in YouTube. You've got views, you have watch time, you have average watch duration, which is an actual minute. And second count, you have uh, average watch percentage, which is the percentage of your video that was mm. taken into consideration. There's comments, there's likes, there's all kinds of stuff. Um, really, the biggest thing that determines your success on YouTube is click-through rate. And uh, it kind of fluctuates between average watch duration and average watch percentage, but really it all kind of flows into watch time minutes. So watch time minutes are really what YouTube kind of uses as your main metric of success. Used to be views back in the day, uh, which is why, you know, a lot of like animation channels that had 30 second or one minute animations were doing great because they would rack up tons of views. And then eventually from a business perspective, YouTube realized, well, what works best for us is session time of a user. How long do you spend with your eyeballs glued to your phone watching YouTube? How many videos do you click through? How many ads can we put in front of your face? If I have a long video, I could do a pre-roll ad. I could do a post-roll ad. I can even do mid-roll ads. So the longer you spend watching is the more more ads I can show you as the Mr. YouTube. Okay. Actually, it's kind of Mrs. YouTube because Susan, what what, what chicky? What chicky? I don't know how to 
pronounce her last name, but she's the CEO the of YouTube. The last name is pronounced YouTube. So Mrs. YouTube, yes. Mrs. YouTube wants you to watch more ads. So they have tweaked the algorithm, the uh, algorithm gods who live in yes. the algorithm pantheon. The, the council. The council of algorithm gods has tweaked the algorithm to optimize for watch time. So really what it is is click-through rate. How Me- many meaning people? people click on your thumbnail? Yep. How many okay. people who the algorithm deems fit to show your video on the homepage actually click it? And that mm-hmm. will tell the algorithm, yeah. hey, a lot of people are clicking this video. Um, and then how long people are watching your, your, in your total watch time minutes. And when you look on your dashboard, you can go into the analytics and you can look at all kinds of stuff. But when you go to your dashboard, the first thing you see is like those three met- or yeah, these three metrics for your last video. It's like views, there's watch time hours, it's uh, average watch time duration for it, and then click-through rate sometimes. Okay. So, and it'll show you like, hey, this video is getting clicked more when we show it to people compared to your last videos. And they have this really nice like anxiety-inducing box on the dashboard that shows uh, your latest video's ranking in terms of views compared to your last 10. Oh, hey, we have a podcast cat. Hello, how you doing? What do you think about YouTube? What do you think about YouTube? Mm-hmm. How would you start a YouTube channel, Cat? Do you wanna do you wanna get on my lap? Hmm? We should help yes. her set up a YouTube channel. I mean, I don't wanna do that. She would get more subscribers than me. I'm gonna yeah. feel very inadequate. Yeah, she's actually gonna be the, the breadwinner in this household. I've never once thought about making her Instagram famous. I know a lot of people like get pets and like, oh I'm gonna get an Instagram for my cat. There's no way. What if it blows up? I'm, it's gonna be like a monkey's paw thing. We have to like take pictures of my cat all day long. All day long. There's no way I want to do it. Yeah. Then she'll start charging. Yeah. But th- so there's a lot of other ones. I will, like in terms of trying to figure out how to improve your video, a great thing to do is to go into your video's analytics and look at your retention graph. So it's basically just a graph of like at, uh, you know, five minutes into your video, how, how many people who, who clicked it are left still watching. 40%, 70%, 20%. And you can start to look at the retention graphs of the videos you've made and, and start asking questions like, well, why did so many people drop off on this video? How come the retention is overall bad on this video versus this video? Or if you see like a big drop off, you're like, okay, well, what was there? Why did a bunch of people leave? So a lot of times on my retention graphs, I will see a big drop off near the end of the video, which is where my sponsor spot was. But sometimes I don't see that. So sometimes I'm like, hmm. So that must have been a good... I must have transitioned transition. into the sponsor read really well. So the one thing I noticed, and people are going to see my evil plotting here, but it's only half evil. I did the video on how to make money online. And the sponsor on that video was Hover, which is the domain name sponsor. We had them on the last podcast as well. Uh, and the video was 25 minutes long. And I'm like... Okay, well, I know the longer a video is, the fewer people stick around. So I may not have great sponsor performance on this video. It's super long. How can I maybe boost that? Well, it just so happens that I had a section of the video talking about how to get brand deals and how to do well on them. And I'm like, this is a great synergy opportunity. I want to put a line in my script that says, if you're the kind of person who typically skips the ads, maybe stick around and watch the ad to see how I do it. Ah, and I look at the retention you, graph on that one. You teased an ad and it worked? I teased the ad and it worked because I found, it, I found a way to provide value with the ad even to people who didn't care about the product. 
And on the retention graph for that video, it's a long video, so it's not like, you know, crazy awesome retention on a global perspective, but there isn't that big slide down when the sponsor spot hits. It's okay. a nice gradual curve. So obviously it's not something that I could do with every topic. It's not something that I yeah. would feel right doing with every kind of topic, but I was like, that's an opportunity where I can provide value encouraging people to watch the ad, even if they don't want to buy the product. That's cool. What else can I do? You know, like one thing we've learned is um, if, you, if you're going to get sponsored, don't start your sponsor read with, and this video was sponsored by, that's basically a cue for people to click away. Yeah, that's the, please, please ignore the following sentence. Mm-hmm. Like I start my video with, I start my video with this video is sponsored by Brilliant or Skillshare, whoever was for FTC compliance and to be open. Uh, and, but then we find like a, a way to end the video, but then like organically transition into it. Yeah. Otherwise you're just like telling people, all right, click away now. Bye. You know, yeah, it's cool that they give you those graphs so that mm-hmm. you can even find out which parts of my video still work. If I add more B roll, people stick around. People yep. like switching it up. Did, if I added some music in the background or more people going to stick around again. Yeah. It's just cool stuff like that. Cause otherwise I feel like whether people click your thing, that's, that's all about thumbnail and title and algorithm placement, but yep the content of the video you need to see where people are still watching for yeah yeah and there's another one where it's like uh so if you go to the advanced tab you can look at your retention graph and there's like the uh like hard retention graph there's also one i think it's called relative so instead of just saying like this is the proportion of people who clicked your video who are still here at five minutes it's um here's how many people were left over at this point in time compared to similar length videos on youtube Oh, that's pretty cool. So like you put up a 20 minute video among 20 minute videos at 15 minutes are people more likely are like are more people around still watching on your video than the average or not. So that can tell you regard like independent of video length being a factor. Are you keeping people around as well as the next creator or as the average creator? Cool. And if not, it's like, cool. Okay. If not, then I know that it's not because I'm making videos that are too long. I'm just not doing whatever is needed to keep people around watching oh, for point. this video length, which is great. Cause I've noticed like we have a lot of creators in standard who make half an hour long videos, but their retention is awesome. So it's like, why? Well, what am I doing? What could I do to huh. increase retention? Cool that there's actually that much data behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, to give people some resources on yeah. this, there are a couple of channels. There's one called video creators and then Daryl Eves. They have videos that break down analytics like that. Um, and I think my friend Tom Martin, I think he had a channel called Channel Fuel. Do you actually know somebody named Tom Martin? I do. <laughs> oh my gosh, I do. <laughs> it's not just us with a secret extra channel? I never thought about that because I've never mentioned him on this podcast. But okay. yes, I know a guy named Tom Martin. All right. Boy, that would have been really awkward if we like called this show the Tom and Martin podcast. <laughs> Because every time you Googled his name, we'd come up. We should we should interview him. So it's like, hey, it's us, Tom and Martin, and this is Tom Martin. And this is, and it would just be a, it, shenanigans all around. I love it, yeah. Yeah, all right, next question. Yeah, next question. Next question. How often would you recommend uploading videos? Mm, this is a great question. Um, YouTube would tell you as often as possible. Once a second. I would tell you as often as you can without sacrificing quality and without burning yourself out. Mm. Um, and ideally, it's really hard. To, it's really hard to like say 
this is the answer because there's always going to be somebody who breaks that answer. Like Mark Rober is a YouTuber who does like science videos. He probably uploads like once every three to four months, but every video he does gets tens of millions of views. And he, he just knows, like he knows how to pick a topic that people are going to watch. Like here's how carnivals scam you and how you can win carnival games. Here's like the tricks. Like people are going to watch the crap out of that. I already feel kind of or intrigued. What happens if we fill a pool, like an entire pool <clears throat> with jello? I'm less intrigued about that one. <laughs> I can see you maybe not wanting to watch that one. Um, Weird. You know, th- things like that. But if I were to give like a, a general window, I would say aim for at least once a month. And personally, I try to aim for once a week. What I have heard, and I am terrible at sticking to this, but what I've heard is that consistency is more important than frequency. So it's not that you need to be uploading once a week or three times a week, but ideally, if you're uploading on Mondays, upload on Mondays, because then your core audience starts to expect your videos on those days. I've heard kind of similar stuff about Instagram and stuff. If mm-hmm. you if you start posting daily and then you stop, yeah, it's just going to confuse a bunch of people, and the next time you start posting, it won't jump right back to where it was because yeah. it doesn't trust you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beyond that, and you don't have to do that. Like I don't do that. I would like to eventually get to a point where I do that. But my stupid artistic brain is like, we've got three days to make a video. What if we did this crazy thing that we've never done before? Yeah. Or other, (laughs) otherwise sometimes maybe it's like, Hey, we have 10 days to make a video, but what if we only had two days to make a video? Have you thought about that? Yeah. And there's, there's terrible enabling arguments out there. Like the fact that, uh, to this day, South park gives themselves, I think 72 hours to make every episode. Wow. And there, there's like some big benefits to it. Like the fact that they give themselves so little time means that whatever is like topical, they're going to, they're going to like make an episode about what's topical right now. They, they can't they, really they make, they won't be like a season behind on the news or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, you know, if they want to make an episode and well, they kind of got in trouble for this because they had made the episode in 2016, anticipating that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And they had to throw oh, away. And they had, and they they had, had to, to make it. that episode apparently in like a day or something. But um, usually it helps them because they are very relevant to what's going on right now by design. There's no way they can't be. Yeah. If they were making episodes six months in advance, you can't really be super topical that way. So, and then you rely on, I don't know, cutaway gags like Family Guy does. Or yeah. eventually decline over time. Like it's interesting watching, you know, shows like The Simpsons kind of like lose their edge. Family Guy definitely loses its edge in certain ways. Uh, South Park kind of hasn't, and I think I think that's yeah they've that's shifted why. they've shifted their style for certain, but they have kept mm-hmm. they've kept it up. I haven't seen the most recent seasons, but yeah. I've seen seasons from the last several years and been like, that's still relatively as clever mm-hmm. as I would have expected. Yeah, it's just because they they don't they don't really give themselves a a way to get like fat and happy. It's like you got seventy two hours, go. Um, Hmm. the way I started was one video per week, and I think when when we talk about uploading frequency with a beginning YouTuber, they're gonna ask the question like, well, how much time do I need to give every video to make it as high quality as possible? My advice is put yourself on a relatively 
like a relatively frequent schedule, maybe once every two weeks, once every month at the, you know, the least, because you're going to learn things with every video you make that you're going to be able to incorporate into new videos. But if you try to put everything you could think of into one video and you're making like one video a year, you're not giving yourself enough at bats. You need the publish time to push you to stop. You do tinkering. And just, just like, look at the progress we've made on my channel. Look at the progress that you and Tony have made in your ability to do things without me. It's, it's not because I was like, you guys have six months to make the perfect video. That just would have been a terrible idea. That wouldn't have worked out at all. Wouldn't have worked out you at gotta all. You got to do it a lot. Yeah. And with, you don't put enough time in between where you start to forget what you learned. Yep. What you need is a feedback loop. You need some amount of time and I, some ideal amount of time where you have enough time to be creative, but you're under a little bit of pressure. It kind of makes you, pushes you to move uh, where you're working and then you need a feedback time. And if you have an audience, they will provide you some external feedback. But also there is a lot of value in the feedback you can give yourself looking at something that you have said, I'm done with that in hindsight. Because if it's not done, there's some feedback benefit there, but you're not in the right mindset to really look back retrospectively on something you've done. If you finish it, you publish it, you come back a few days later, you watch it again, you're like, okay, well, what can I do better next time? The lighting's a little harsh. I can see like a spot on my face where the highlights are actually blown out. Let me try to learn ISO. Let me try to learn uh, shutter speed. Let me try to learn aperture and, and lighting a little bit better next time. Yeah. You know, with every video, what we try to do is 1% rule. Try to target something where it's like, what can we push with this video? And you won't even know those things the mm-hmm. first time. You won't even see it. Like we've talked about in the last episode, people are really good at finding imperfections, but you're not going to see the next like hundred imperfections. You're going to see a few at a time. And mm-hmm. each time you do it, you're going to be like, well, actually this other thing's also broken. Yep. And I didn't even notice before because I didn't know to look for it. And you can't know without publishing a few and finishing a few things. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is even something I've, I've learned working with Tony. The first few videos, I would be like, all right, well, here's a litany of things that I would like you to look at and change and go learn. And that, that's not a good way to help somebody develop as an editor themselves because I'm trying to like force upload my brain into his brain. And like, number one, I know cerebrally, like he's going to develop an editing style that's even if I'm asking him to edit like I edit, it's going to be somewhat different. And with practice, he's probably going to develop things that are better than what I did. But in the beginning, regardless of that, I can't like shove everything I've learned at him and and expect him to perfectly replicate it within one video. You just can't do that. And we don't have the right cables. You don't have the right cables. You need like more bandwidth, right? Like like a F SATA cable. E SATA, not good enough. Something like that. (laughs) Uh, you know, so now it's like with each video, I'm like, okay, there are things I'm going to let go this time because I know it's going to be overwhelming if I'm like every little nitpicky thing. Also, I know that many things are, are literally nitpicks that do not matter. Yeah, that's just part of the artistic process is realizing yeah. that if you have to publish, sometimes you have to let tiny things go. Mm-hmm. And again, that's why you should publish with a frequency. Yeah, there like there was a thing in the latest video, the sleep video Uh, I wanted to have like this voiceover section that came to me like laying in bed, looking up at a camera 
above me and I was going to say a line yeah. and then the final line I was going to turn and I wanted to like have Tony filming from the side and we were going to do a tracking shot getting out of bed and then go to that POV shot with the bike helmet. We didn't have time. So I just cut that. And like now in retrospect, I don't miss, I don't miss that extra shot at all. Yeah. Going straight from the overhead view to the POV. Fine. Like it's, it's not a big it's deal. Fine. You know, but uh, a, a previous version of me would have been like, I really want that shot in there. The video is wrong without it. You know, and yeah. like part of becoming uh, like a supervisor to other people is like learning like what is just ego driven artistic nitpicks and what is actually going to improve the video and, you know, make you still happy with it in retrospect. Yeah. So I try to be a little bit uh, less of a fire hose when it comes to my feedback. And I think over time, like, number one, we, we make more videos because it's less of a stressful process. And uh, over time, he just gets really good. Yeah. You know? So it's been pretty awesome to see, like, I just film a video and kind of give it to you guys, and we'll do our round, our round of feedback. And every time we have done the little sit-down thing going through a video, I'm like, I have less on my list this time. Yeah. Which is cool. I think I had, like, maybe 15 items on it last time versus, like, 30 the time before that and this video is doing really good yeah and so, it, it's just it's gonna get better with time and mm-hmm. that's really the only way to get better yeah something i've realized and i don't i don't know if there's a question about this in here so i'm just gonna say it now as the art as the artist i feel like not only am i bored if i'm doing the same thing each time but i feel like the video is gonna do worse if i'm if I keep doing the same thing, like if I keep using the same set, I feel like, Oh, the audience is going to get bored in reality. I think I might be shooting myself in the foot sometimes with that because I'm always like striving to make a different kind of thumbnail or a different clever title. And the problem with that is when you're changing everything, every single time you don't build that audience expectation Mm. and you fail to latch on the things that work. When you're constantly like, oh, well, I got to do a new set this time and I got to do a different kind of music and I got to do a different kind of topic. Like a lot of a lot of YouTubers are very successful because they found a formula that works and they just do it again and again and again. There's a there's a car reviewer named Doug DeMiro and his videos get hundreds of thousands of views every time. And they're always like the same. It's a profile shot of a car. He's in the background doing like this cool arms out pose. And then the title is always like, this Kia Stinger costs $50,000. Here's why. And it's like some variation of that. Here's why the 2018 Honda Accord is worth $15,000. It's always the same. And people watch that crap out of it. And I think it's because, well, they like it. There are elements in it that he changes up that keep people coming back instead of getting bored. Like he'll go through like the quirks of the car. Here's the quirks of this car. Uh, But then like when they see it in their home feed, Anybody who sees a Doug DeMiro thumbnail, no matter what video it is, they know at a glance. That's Doug DeMiro. Sometimes I think I shoot myself in the foot because I'm like, I'm going to make a really cool thumbnail I've never done before. And then people are like, I didn't notice it was one of your videos at first because you're not in the thumbnail. Well, that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So there, there may be some value to certain consistencies. Yeah. The artistic mind is like, I hate formulas, but... Mm-hmm. The successful mind sees formulas in everything. I mean, look at the top 40, look at movies, look at... Oh my gosh, Formulas work 
So you shouldn't entirely discount them. You got to find a balance between formulas and artistic value. <laughs> it's true. Like every successful like, pop like, song is like every single successful common time. It's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. Similar chord progressions, just sometimes a different key signature, but it's yep. similar. Yeah, it's all the same. It's, it's all very similar, but it works every time. That, uh, so that you, Ed you Sheeran song is literally no scrubs. What, what, I forget the... I don't know the song, but now I just hear Ed Sheeran singing No Scrubs, and I'd, I'd listen to that cover. Yeah, it's it's so similar, he had to give them writing credit, apparently. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he like purposely copied it, or if like he's just like, this is a cool melody, it's real simple, I think people are going to like it. It's like, yeah, you know, they did that in No Scrubs 20 years ago. Bruh. Oh, no. Scrub. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Okay. <clears throat> How do you find your first followers? that aren't your family or friends. Ooh, this is great now. The answer is so much easier now. Really? Yeah. When I was when I was starting with blogging, like well, maybe I just didn't know. And I think it was actually harder to make it as a beginning blogger or YouTuber back then because Google used PageRank. And PageRank ranked sites primarily based on how many other authoritative sites linked to that page and or oh, domain yeah, yeah i remember that so the big got bigger you know like if cnn is linking to this then another place is going to link to that because like that's probably how the person found it so it was really hard to get a foothold as a beginning blogger now the search algorithms on google and youtube are way smarter and they're way more attuned to the quality of the content you're writing so here is the answer pick a niche and make better quality content in that niche than anyone else is making. Ideally, a niche that has fairly low competition, but still has interest. Yeah, and if there is competition, you can study it. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the articles I wrote on the website was similar. I looked at it and I wrote, what are they doing? What aren't they explaining that I think needs to be explained? You could easily yeah. watch a, watch somebody's channel and think I could do it this way because I have this unique expertise mm -hmm. that links in with it. So I see a lot of people who are like, I've been doing YouTube for like three years. I've been consistent. I think my content's great, but I'm not getting any views. I'm not growing. And I'll look at the channel and it's like a general Let's Play channel. Let's play The Last of Us. You know, it's like a million people have done that. There is, it's very, very difficult to stand out doing that. But if you wanted to do gaming, you know, what if you did something a little more niche, like here is uh, my strategy for getting to level eight in Risk of Rain 2 in under an hour. Like, yeah, that's, you that's know, more specific. That's super specific. Even people, people who have already seen stuff on that game might mm -hmm. be like, oh, in under an hour. Yeah. I no, didn't know that one. There's, there's a lot of channels that I see where like their first video will get hundreds of thousands of views. And I, I don't know if they like deleted a bunch of old videos, but I've seen a lot of these channels like they kind of they come like right out the gate swinging because they target something people are searching for and either there's not a ton of competition or they just do it better there's this guy i think his name is like samuel suresh and i'm hopefully i'm not mispronouncing it but he has a couple of videos about like how he takes notes on his ipad for school and the thumbnails are just incredible they're really? so good and i can i can see exactly why people click those videos um Great example for like a smaller channel, Tony. So Tony had a channel called Civil Spider 
and he worked for a very big uh, like animation channel before he worked for me. And uh, they had like created a character for him, I guess. And because of that, he had gotten 10,000 subscribers on his Civil Spider channel. But Tony likes to do tech. The problem is like people coming from this animation channel watching like animated stories of embarrassing things I did in sixth grade, things like that. Like they don't really necessarily care about cell phone reviews. So it got to a point where his subscriber count was actually a detriment because the way the YouTube algorithm works is when you publish a video, it's going to push it out to some of your subscribers, testing it on them Mm. and seeing what their reaction is. And based on their reaction, it will either suppress it for more subscribers or it will push it out. And it will also do the same for non-subscribers. So if it's like, Hey, the, the test group, we sent this video out, loved it. Okay, cool. Keep pushing it out. I mean, that's how videos go viral. The algorithm keeps pushing it out and keeps getting data. Like people are eating this up, push it out to even more. Um, the problem was like, well, his test audience, his subscriber count didn't really care about what he's making anymore. So he made a new channel and he's got maybe 400 subscribers on that. Now it's just called Tony Santos. We can link to it in the description. And, uh, you know, he's doing a lot of videos on like iPad keyboards, iPhone stuff, getting, you know, a few hundred views. And then he does a video very recently on the it's like a samsung s7 tablet that's coming out and the video was like you know is this going to be a worthwhile upgrade from the the s6 tablet well not a lot of the big youtubers in the tech world have talked much about this particular tablet but it's still a samsung tablet so it's going to be pretty popular yeah that video has like seventeen thousand views now so you you pick the right topic you pick the right topic and the people will come yep So yeah, I used to be like, you got to hustle, man. You got to be pushing stuff out on Twitter. You got to be building a Facebook audience. I used to spend lots of time in forums, like trying to build up authority in forums and Reddit. I have like a whole Reddit strategy. If I were to start from ground zero again today, I wouldn't do any of that. Yeah, I've, I've long felt that that doesn't have any of the payoff that it was built up to. I think it had payoff, but it was like, it was like playing cookie clicker and clicking the cookie instead of building the factories. Yeah. Like you get one cookie per click. Yeah, like compared to other investments you could do in, in other strategies, it mm-hmm. was like there's there's limited potential. Yep. Yeah. If I were starting again today, uh, if I were blogging, I would bite the bullet and I would pay ninety nine dollars per month for an Ahrefs. It's a h r e f s dot com subscription to do SEO research. Yeah. And if I were to do actually, I may even do the same thing with YouTube because I literally use Ahrefs to research YouTube topics sometimes. Um, I would take an interest I have. I would figure out how can I niche down on this? Is there interest in this market? Cool. I'm going to make videos that are answering questions or, or talking about topics where the competition doesn't seem super high, but there's still interest. And I'm going to build up in that niche. And then I, I will figure out how to branch out from that niche. It is absolutely possible to branch out from a niche that you get famous for in the first place. My friend Charles Cornell is a perfect example of this. He built a channel, blew up. He actually first blew up on TikTok and then built a channel, absolutely blew up doing uh, these meme videos. So Charles is like a phenomenally talented jazz piano player. So he would take clips of like Cardi B ranting or that uh, that mega church pastor who like tried to blow away coronavirus, like, you know, meme clips. And he would analyze the way they were talking because when we talk we talk in tones 
and he would play the piano to their speech. Yeah. And like like 30 seconds of like Cardi B ranting about the coronavirus, coronavirus. And he put like jazz piano underneath it and it would get tons and tons of views. That's how he initially built an audience on YouTube. He has been able to pivot from doing that to now doing like educational videos. Like what are modes? You know, how do you learn to improvise as a jazz musician? And it's a much more sustainable form of content for him. The meme thing is great for like building an audience, but he knew that joke was going to play out eventually. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the same one note joke every time. Eventually people would have gotten bored and he would have been left with nothing. So he's been very smart. He's been pivoting towards this very sustainable educational content, sometimes breaking down songs. Like, um, you ever seen like the bill words history of the world video? No, very famous video, but I've not, he'll like break down the music theory behind the music in that. And you know, that did a, that did really, really well but it's like a 20 minute educational video where he's like teaching people, Oh, he's in this key and he's doing this kind of a chord progression. It's super cool. So yeah, I would niche down, I would build an audience. And if I wanted to pivot or or branch out from there, I would figure out a strategy for doing it. I'm actually doing it now. Like I'm 29. I don't want to do. Oh yeah, that's true. Study tips videos anymore. Cause I haven't been in college since I was 21. And like, we still have college info geek. I'm still going to have people write academic success content, but I'm more interested in personal finance in business in like general self-improvement. So I'm slowly transitioning my channel to a point where people are going to look at my channel and be like, that's not a study tips channel. That's productivity or personal finance or things like that. But I'm not like hard pivoting. Yeah. You know, I'm not like one day, all right, I'm never making study tips again because you can't like just do a 180 and alienate your audience and expect them to like follow you. You know, you have to figure out a way to like gradually be like, all right, this is what I'm about now. I'm trying to move into this, but I'm still like serving the audience that is coming here for the content. Yeah. So I somehow clicked away from the, the questions. What's the next one? All right. What gear did you start with and what do you use now? What made you change? Ooh, I started with a $700 Sony mirrorless camera. It was called the NEX5N. I started with lights that I built out of materials from Home Depot. Like, uh, they were like these, these, what are they called? They're like clamp lights. I think that's what they're called. It's just like a metal dish with a clamp and you put a light bulb in it. And then I put, uh, wax paper over it for diffusion. And I would clamp it to the sides of my loft bed and my TV stand. And I didn't even own a tripod. So I would put the camera on top of my bookshelf and then plug it into a very cheap TV from Walmart using an HDMI cord to see myself (laughs) because that Sony camera didn't have a flip out screen. And then I used uh, board game covers and two more of those light bulbs as background lighting. And that's how I started out. Uh, oh, and I used a Blue Yeti microphone, which I don't really recommend, but that's what I had because they at least market themselves pretty well. And a lot of my original videos were made with that setup. Uh, now, and there's been a lot of gear evolution. We are currently filming this podcast with two cinema level cameras. <laughs> now, there were lots of steps in between. It wasn't like one day. Yeah, that was back in 2014. This is, so been, this is six years later. It's been a while. Uh, we're using a Canon C500 Mark II and a Canon C200. And you can look up the prices for those if you want. I'm not going to put you, them. If you want they're, to. They're, they're a down payment for a house together. You don't want to, though. 
Uh, we're using an Aperture 300D. We're using an Aperture 100D. We're using Quasar tube science lights for the color things. Um, we're using a lot of expensive stuff, but it's because of the 1% rule. It's taken a long time to get to this level of expensive yeah. stuff. Six years of constant work, but I am never satisfied with my level of production value. I'm like, there's always something we could be improving. I will now watch Hollywood movies and be like, what can I use from this? Oh, there's an interesting editing technique. Oh, instead of just doing a crossfade, they actually did a dip to black. I actually noticed this in, I was watching Ocean's 13 last night, and there was this scene that ended on kind of a somber note, but it would have been like weird if they had just faded it out and then hard cut to the next scene. So I noticed what they did is they did a dip to black, and then in about the midpoint of that, then they crossfaded in the next scene. I was like, that's cool. So maybe I'll try that in another video at mm. some point. Like it was kind of an interesting pacing trick. And we, we, I've actually used Oceans 13. I've mined that movie for ideas. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the little montage where you were like brushing your teeth with a hairdryer and yeah, put the banana. Yeah. And, like, and we had them like do like a comic booky thing straight out of Oceans 13. There's like a montage where all the characters are like doing stuff to get the casino ready for the job they're about to pull. And it's, it's edited that way. So I pulled it right from that movie. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm always looking for ways I can improve things. My uh, agent and friend, Dave Wiskus, uh, we kind of have this concept that we call plus. Like that's plus. So anybody can start a YouTube channel. We're making this, this podcast episode to hopefully inspire some people to do it. But what is the difference between a kid in his bedroom with an iPhone making a video about how to study more effectively and one of my videos. The content, there's not a big, there's not a big difference. You know, that kid in his bedroom can research the exact same things I can research. Yeah. You can, you can go to Wikipedia. You can go to the sources section. You can read through academic papers. You can build up a list of study tips and you can do the exact same video I did. What is my advantage? What is my competitive advantage? that's going to help me continue to grow my business and not get overtaken. It's the fact that I'm pushing my production value. It's the fact that I'm like, how can I make that plus? Yeah. How can I stand out? Now, part of the way I do that is with editing. Part of the way I do that is with trying to, to make my presentation style better. But part of the way I do that is, is investing in gear that makes my stuff look better than it used to. Yeah, I'll give you the same content, but it will be more pleasant for mm -hmm. you to watch and listen to it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. D Dave loves to go on rants about this. He's like, I hate the argument that YouTube is successful because, because like the content is crappy looking like, no invest in it, make it look good. And I, I absolutely agree where, where I won't go too far is in advocating you go out and buy a ton of stuff. Cause as Casey Neistat loves to say, the best camera in the world is the one you have on you yeah. that lets you tell a story. And if you're sitting there going, and this was me actually, I can't make videos because I can't afford a $3,000 Canon 5D Mark IV with an awesome lens that'll give me that blurry background. You need to change your mindset because, I mean, look at the biggest YouTuber in the world, PewDiePie, films with like a potato. His, his, his quality, looks, it looks terrible half the time, but he's entertaining. Yeah. So people watch him, you know? Um, so it's like this duality. Start with what you have, build up. And then if you're like me, invest in your gear as you can. 
to further differentiate yourself from the crowd. But never mistake gear, never think that gear is going to give you something more than what investing effort into writing, scripting, editing, making a better story will. Those will always win. Yeah. My first, you know? uh, my photography teacher was always, was always saying, you don't need new gear until you have creatively exhausted the limits of your current gear mm -hmm. and you absolutely can't do the next thing without an upgrade. Because if you don't know 100% of what you're doing on this, then who's to say upgrading will even help you? Yeah, that's very you, true. And with camera equipment for videos or photos, especially videos though, you're you're gonna you're gonna lose some money. Loads of money will be will <laughs> be gone. <laughs> I will admit, you need I, to know uh, you need it. I have gear acquisition syndrome, something fierce, and there's a <laughs> lot of gear I've bought that we have not yet tapped. I own a drone. You'd never know it because no, our videos contain zero drone footage that. that we have shot. There's a reason for this. To um, to shoot with a drone and use that footage in in a business capacity, which it would be for us, you have to get, or you have to have somebody there who has a part 107 certification, which is something you get from the federal aviation administration. Oh, that's federal. That's not even it's federal. Level. Yep. It's okay. a federal law. If you want to, so if you want to use a drone for funsies, I could take that drone out and we can go to the park right after this and we could fly it around, have fun, do whatever we want. We could film, we could use it for fun. The moment we're like, this is for business. You got to have whoever's flying the drone has to have a part 107. Hmm. And it takes a lot to study for that thing. It is like half of a pilot's license. Oh, nice. You got to know like latitude, longitude. You got to be able to identify airports on a map and know what kind of airports they are. You have to know like if you're flying into federally controlled space, like that's there's so like, much more it's intense a, than I would have thought. <laughs> there are people make good money selling courses on how to get your part 107 because it is no joke. It is darn near a tech certification wow like, well that's it's interesting. probably not as much reading as a CompTIA uh, A plus but it's like it's a serious thing and it's like an A plus in, in that you pay like 300 bucks to go take the test so you better study so there. I have tasked Tony with obtaining a part 107 before me it does make sense for him to get it more than it makes sense for me to get it because what we're probably going to do is drone shots of me doing things for the most yeah, part. Yeah, you can't be you can't be piloting at the same time. <laughs> so, and I got a lot of other things to do. Uh, but yeah, like sometimes I'll get excited, and be like, yeah, let's go buy a drone, man. Let's go buy those cool lens. Um, I I am very surprised I don't own the probe lens yet. <laughs> it's a cool lens. It's a cool lens. Um, I think something that helps is Anna yelling at me to not buy more gear. Yeah, it's not always successful, but she does. Yeah, what you need is she somebody does have some to yell at you to not buy more gear. That's what you got to have one of those on hand. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you'll slip and fall. And then you'll spend yes. all your money on gear. All right. What's up? What's uh, the next one? Next question actually builds right off of this. What kind of software do you use for editing videos? I know you use Premiere, but mm -hmm. I also know that it's not always your favorite. So is Premiere. that would you recommend Premiere no, to a new video so, maker? I'm so monkey's pod into Premiere. Um. I use Premiere Pro. I use After Effects. I use Audition for voiceover. I use Photoshop. I'm like deep into Adobe. That being said, if I was starting out again or if I was advising, advising somebody new, I, I really wouldn't recommend the Adobe stuff because it's 57 I think, dollars a month for the suite every month. Wow. And yeah, like 
Premiere is, I mean, I, I use the crap out of it. I know I know Premiere like the back of my hand. It is buggy. I deal with crashes and freeze, freeze ups and all kinds of crap all the time. It sucks. I'm, I'm hitting control S to save my work every two minutes. Like it's, you know, and maybe there's some things I could do to like optimize my computer. Maybe I just need to totally reset my computer. Um, what I would recommend for a beginner is uh, look into an editing program that's free, such as uh, either HitFilm Express, which I've used very lightly, or uh, DaVinci Resolve. I've heard of that second one. Yeah, so DaVinci Resolve originally started out as color grading software, and for that reason, the color grading tools in Resolve are second to none. Um, but they have turned it into a very capable editor. It actually has, as far as from what, for the reading I've done, it has superior audio editing tools to Premiere. Uh, it has like you know better built-in plugins, better track management, and then it honestly handles. If you have a powerful computer, it handles high bitrate footage better than Premiere. And it's free. There's a studio edition that gets you some other things. I don't know what. It's like 300 bucks, but it's 300 bucks once. I do like once. Yeah. I'm a fan of that. I mean, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably pay for Lightroom until I die, but yeah. generally I prefer once. Well, you bought Logic recently. I love Logic. That's I have just no, once. I have no regrets about that. Mm-hmm. I bought Studio One Four which is a DAW for music production, paid for it once. That was great. Yeah. Uh, Adobe is the only one where you don't pay once. And I'm like particularly annoyed with my Adobe situation right now because when the pandemic hit, um, Tony had to go home because we were all locked down. And we're like, well, let's try to find some better ways to edit collaboratively. Oh, and there's yeah. like this team projects thing. We had to upgrade to a team plan. And it didn't even work for our workflow. Really? So I'm currently locked into a year contract paying like 168 bucks a month for YouTube or for uh, Adobe products, which is stupid because it's more than the cost of two personal subscriptions. We're getting zero value out of it. Yeah, I would say I'm not a big fan of that kind of a contract structure generally. No, I don't like it. I'm cool with Lightroom because it's cheap. And if they ever betray me, I... Well, and you pay what? It's like 20 bucks a month for Lightroom only? For Lightroom and Photoshop, I think it's like 10 Okay, that's but, that's worth but it. But once you get into the other apps, it starts to get crazy. Also, I think Lightroom is just superior in my experience, whereas these yeah. other ones are not sounding like it. Honestly, I used Premiere to make one video, and I got mad making almost nothing. Yeah, the the problem is like when I say monkey's paw, um, people who haven't heard this is like this this you know old adage that if you want to trap a monkey, put like a piece of fruit inside of a a box or something where the hole is big enough that they can fit their hand through without grabbing something, but then they grab onto the piece of fruit and they can't pull their hand out because they're holding the fruit, but they won't mm. let go to the fruit. That's the monkey's paw trap. And uh, there's like, ironically, also like the legend of the monkey's paw with the fingers that you bend monkey's down. Monkey's paws are doing double So many duty monkey's paws. On stuff. I have just learned every in and out of Premiere. And when I open Resolve, I'm like, what is this? Where is anything? I don't know how to do anything. Like I would need to take time to learn results. Yeah, and you would, need, you would need the time to do that. And time Basically is, time is money. Money is power. Power is pizza. So, um, yeah, start with like that, Resolve or Hit true. Film Express. They're both free. Uh, for photo editing, there's GIMP and there is... Uh, so GIMP is free and then there's Affinity Photo and Affinity Designer, which is like Illustrator, can do like, uh, what is it, raster graphics? Yeah. Vector stuff? Or vec Sorry, not ve raster. Vector, vector stuff, yeah. Um, I think those are like 50 bucks a piece one time. So pretty easy investment. 
uh, if you wanted to do like cool audio stuff. I know a lot of the voiceover YouTubers like TierZoo, they use Audacity, which is free. Yeah, there's even, a lot of like Linux stuff you'll find. Mm-hmm. Open maybe open source yeah. is probably the best phrase for completely free stuff. That's I bet you there are other free video editing programs out there that I don't even know about. But at this point in time, there are now free editors that are great. If you have a Mac, iMovie, you know? Uh, and if you have a Mac, like I don't know it, but I know a lot of people who love Final Cut. Like my my agent Dave uses Final Cut. I know a lot of people like Renee Ritchie. Everything he does is in Final Cut. Apparently, Final Cut rocks. And again, it's, it's a one-time purchase. So it's weird being a heavy Adobe user who doesn't recommend Adobe to newbies. But I would imagine I'm not alone. <laughs> don't be like me, kids. <laughs> don't get hooked on Adobe. Yeah, don't get hooked on Adobe. <laughs> I'm like, anyway. <laughs> we're gonna get re- I hate it. We're going to get reverse sponsored now. They're going <laughs> to... Adobe doesn't sponsor They're going to charge us. They're going to... No, it's a reverse sponsor. They're going <laughs> to... They're going to charge us for being mean. Hey, I'll take Adobe sponsorship once they fix all the bugs in Premiere. That's, that's a good, it's a good price. Yeah. Fix the bugs. I just, I just know they're not going to do it because they haven't done it for like 10 years. Yeah. Okay. All right. This next one. How do you stay organized? How do you keep content in the pipeline? (laughs) Did I put this in here? It's just, (laughs) just to be mean a little bit. Um... (laughs) A few days before a video <laughs> is due, because we have sponsor due dates. Yeah. I get this like manic energy and I'll come up with the video topic and I'll go like, okay, we gotta do this now. And then because we only have 72 hours to make the video, I'll get really ambitious to be like, you know what we should do? We should drive out to the mountains and like film it like a documentary. And we'll go crazy and stress ourselves the hell out. Yes. And then we'll publish a video. And right before we publish it, we'll say, we won't do this again. <laughs> and that's the, that's the cycle. That's, that is the cycle. Um, I have been working to break this cycle for a long time. We, we've been trying for years. Failing every month. Um, but I feel that I am actually making progress here. And the reason I feel like I'm actually making progress is I'm finally getting comfortable filming a video and giving it to you guys. I do think and that's think helping lately. That is actually that is the one key. That is the only thing that will solve this for me is I film a video and give it to you guys. Yeah, cuz you only and have so many hours you can possibly give. Yep. And so. I will find ways to pour more hours than I need into something doing stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah. Like the other day I was like, "Oh, I want to put text in this thumbnail, but I want to like I want to give it an outline and a drop shadow, but how do I make it a long shadow? And I spent like an hour researching how to do that. And like, nobody cares. Yeah. So what I did is I just went into Photoshop and I gave it an outline and a drop shadow and then just dragged the drop shadow out. And yeah, there is kind of like a weird gap between them, but at thumbnail size, you can't even see it. So I just wasted all this time, you know, and maybe <laughs> it's not wasted because I learned something, but yeah. we're on a deadline. So I've realized this about myself. When I look at people like Linus Tech Tips, like Linus Sebastian, he and his team are actually productive. They are, he's a machine, and they have built a machine that publishes a video every single day, and they're usually two weeks ahead on every video. I'm good at building systems for productivity. I'm not necessarily good at being a machine. I will say we at least do tend to have 
video ideas ahead of time in Notion and stuff like that. But yeah. The actual filming and finishing of the video is where the planning goes awry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what I should probably do is, like, hire some sort of project manager who just tells me, like, do it. Or, I don't know, I'll break your car in half. I can, <laughs> I'll do it. I'll break your car in half. Okay. I can do that. Um, but to, to be actually helpful here, we have a video tracker template that I built in Notion. We have a template version for this. Um, if you Google Notion template gallery, you'll find Notion's official template gallery and you'll find a couple for me in there. I have my note-taking system. And if you just control F for video, uh, there's one that's like video game tracker and the other one is mine. It's I think it's like video production tracker or something. Uh, you can duplicate that and use it in Notion. And because Notion is now free, there's no reason not to. Uh, it's really nice. We've got a cool template where you can generate just like a B-roll list, a checklist for editing, a checklist for publishing. There's like areas for brainstorming titles. And then that's what we use to plan out our content. Yeah. And on that front, we are pretty organized, all jokes aside. We're really good at planning out videos. I'm just really bad about getting kind of uninspired about the topic we planned in advance and being like, well, actually, what we should do is this. Last minute. Yeah, it's more last minute <laughs> inspiration that throws it off. But the the tracking system, it's actually pretty pretty organized. Yeah. And it's really easy to keep track of B-roll needs and all sorts of extra stuff. I know there are other YouTubers using my template and I'm working on an even better one. And I, I think like other YouTubers who are a little more machine-like would very much benefit from this. Yeah. I'm just bad at being a machine, which probably means I really need to get someone who can help me truly detach from certain videos. Because like, this is the dilemma I, I'm always dealing with. I want to make music. I want to work on big projects. I'm like, cool. Okay, in order to do that, I have to detach from the weekly videos, at least some of them. I have to give them to my team, delegate properly, like, like a business owner should, and then every video comes along. And I'm like, hey, I picked this topic because it's going to be useful, but I'm kind of dispassionate about this one particularly, so I'm going to give it. I feel like I'm going to be able to give it off. And then we start writing it, and I'm like, oh, but wait, what if we did this? Yep. Every single every video. Time. I can't help it. Every time. I can't freaking help it, you know? And I'll, I'll, I'll find reasons to justify it. I'm like, well, you know, Matt Diavella put out a video recently that did really well, and I'm going to feel pretty bad if I, like, my video doesn't do very well. I'll, like, compare myself to other people. All these stupid things. Um, you know? What are you going to do? Uh, keep giving you guys stuff. Yeah, that's probably, maybe hire a project manager. Probably at some the point. best plan. Um, that would be very helpful for me. Okay, so yes, I'm I'm good at systems, not good at following systems. <laughs> All right. <laughs> how do you get the confidence to start, and how do you overcome the fear that people won't take you seriously? Mm. Particularly for you, you're putting your face on camera and saying things yeah. that you want people to take seriously, somewhat. Uh, boy, what was, what was I watching last? Oh, I was watching, uh, Ocean's 13 last night and Ruben has this, apparently Ruben has this line and I, I may be butchering it, but I think it's like the moment you become embarrassed to be yourself is the moment you've lost it. You know, I think about this sometimes too, because the, the funny thing is people from the outside looking in would be like, oh, well now you have this established channel. Now you have millions of subscribers. You can do whatever you want. And that's actually not true in a lot of aspects. There's now more pressure to act a certain way, to make a certain type of content. If I uploaded a song that I made on my YouTube channel, it would get views, but it would actually hurt 
the next video because of the way the algorithm works. Yeah. There's a lot of root pressures. Um, something that, that I try to keep in mind when making videos, when going to the gym, when doing anything, people largely mind their own business. The way they look at you is either with the light or with boredom. Most people are not going to look at you putting yourself out there, making a genuine attempt to be like, haha, you suck. And if they do, they're not worth your time. Anybody who's worth your time is either going to give you praise or constructive feedback or just watch passively and take what you've given to them, you know, yeah. and like it. But anybody who's a troll is not worth your time. I put you, this on Twitter recently. That. Um, I was saying something like, Anybody has the ability to comment on the internet. Anybody does. And when anybody does, kind of, we were talking about like publishers, you know, gatekeepers. There's no gatekeeper. Yeah. Which means that your default position should not be to respect everyone. That sounds mean, but that is a that is a much more default posi- or productive default position than defaulting to I respect and acknowledge everyone's comment because there's a lot of trolls out there. There's a lot of people with really crappy things to say. And if you're starting from, I need to acknowledge every one of these comments, you're going to, that negativity bias is going to make you focus in on the trolls and you're going to feel like terrible. So that's not where I start from. I start from just as I have to earn your respect. I have to earn your click. I have to earn your continued watch time, watching my video. If you're going to comment on my stuff, you got to earn my respect. Yeah, you got you got to take it seriously because mm-hmm. otherwise you're going to get all offended maybe at some some stupid little off comment and they aren't even going to remember your video. They weren't taking it that seriously. They just wanted to be mean for three yep. seconds, but it might hurt you for days. They want to hear themselves talk. You know, you know, there's like people who in conversation don't really listen. They're more just kind of like waiting for their chance to respond. And I think a lot of people watch YouTube with that mindset. That is yeah. an interesting thought that I had not considered. I, I think so. Yeah. It, it's definitely a big conversational problem for people in general <laughs> is just waiting to get. And then if you wait too long and you're like, ah, oh, I was waiting for that witty one liner. <laughs> now the moment's passed. Now I just look like an idiot because I have nothing to say. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I think this is especially prevalent in like self-improvement videos. People will, will comment just like a lot of people comment like helpful things like to add to the conversation, but there's a certain type of person who comments. They don't really, you can tell you like they didn't really listen to the video. There's like a lot of times they comment before the video, like, like I don't know, I'll upload. And then like, there'll be a comment. They couldn't have possibly watched the video. <laughs> and, like they posted their own tip. And I'm like, okay, well, I Maybe guess they're that's just trying cool. to get clickbacks. Maybe they got a I channel. I think it's what it is. I mean, that's what people did in WordPress comments, right? It's you what it, always yeah. just say, wow, this is a really helpful post. What if you looked at my post on a similar topic? It's all just self yeah. self serving. And you know, like if, if they part didn't of read your it. if part of your motive is to get people to click back to your channel, like that's fine. But if that's your only motive, then why are you? I don't know. Don't be part of the conversation. But if that's your only motive. And and you, as the person who made the video, has no particular reason to take them that seriously. They, yes, they haven't earned your attention. Yeah, there are too many people on the internet to give attention to all of them. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I will say this. And, you know, if if one of these people is listening to the podcast, I'm sorry, but this is how I feel. If the only thing you ever do in commenting on my videos is post your own tip and you never actually interact with anybody or 
or comment on the video itself, like it's a little annoying, not annoying enough to like make me think about it that much, but like it's, I don't know. I'm just like, well, it just seems like you're trying to promote your own, your own stuff. And that's your only motive for being here. And it's kind of a turnoff. Yeah. Whereas if they had been conversing with people, it'd be mm-hmm. like, you're all, oh, you're part of like a community that is springing up Yep, and that would be a different story. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if you're part of the community, like absolutely take some opportunities sometimes to promote yourself. You got to do it. It's how you play the game. But like, there's a way to do it genuinely. Yeah. So I don't even know if that was part of the, uh, oh, it was the confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Just be confident in yourself. You know, if, if you feel confident to do it, then do it. Yeah. And like it, if you wouldn't make fun of yourself for doing it, then why not do it? Yeah. And I would say if you want to, if you want people to take you seriously, take yourself somewhat seriously. I mm-hmm. mean, I used to post, this is a long, long time ago, but I remember the first time I started a Twitter account, I started posting things about what I was passionate about, like language and stuff. Yeah. To be serious for a change, because usually I, I hid behind that wall of sarcasm and, and stupid witty jokes and, mm-hmm. That stuff's fun for a while, but no one's going to take you seriously until you say, hey, I've decided I'm worth taking seriously. Yeah. Not not to a stuck-up degree, because then they won't take you seriously. But yeah. If you, you, you don't have to be your buttoned own, up to take yourself seriously. No, it just you, means you, you just need to... You're serious about what you're passionate about, and you, you know, you're going to be genuine about it. Yeah, yeah, it's, the, it's being genuine. Yes. You need to show that you take it seriously and you really care about it. I think that will show most of the time. Mm-hmm. I'm just remembering what... <laughs> we would be sarcastically genuine to each other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, Martin. You know, I just want to tell you that you're a really good friend. And I appreciate being around you every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it, it's so it's so it feels weird to be genuine. Yeah. And to some degree, you'll have to get past that if mm-hmm. you, unless you're making joke videos, in which case carry on. Yeah. But you can you can be serious about your comedy. You yeah. Know? Like you put a lot of effort into it. Uh, yeah. And I don't know, like. If you're into something, there's there's people out there who are into it too. And the great thing about the internet is it it has provided us with, you know, currently the best tool we have ever had for connecting with those people. So use it. Yeah. All right, what, what else we got? Well, let's see. Did you find any unexpected difficulties running the YouTube channel? Any Anything you didn't see coming? We've already gone over several I mean, difficulties. There's, yeah, there's a lot of things that I can see coming. I think the biggest thing is I thought, as a smaller creator, when I got big, it would be easy. I was like, I'm going to have millions of subscribers one day, and when I do, I will know that every video will get hundreds of thousands of views, and that will be enough, and I'll just be able to make whatever I want. And I'm sure that after making hundreds of videos, it'll be super easy to make them. I'll have You'll no be stuttering expert. problems on camera. I won't flub lines. I'll have had so much practice. And that is so not true. I still flub lines a ton. It is, uh, I have found that the practice, it does factor in, but some days and some topics, I'm just like, it's, it's, a, it's like pulling teeth. You remember. <laughs> well, I, I do remember, <laughs> and I will say that even recently, so this, this, should, this should help you. Uh, dear listener, <laughs> Tony and I were working on a video and Tom was stuck on one one tiny section for like a full 18 minutes. <laughs> Some days it's going to be hard, even if you're a professional at it. So if you if you're like sitting there super frustrated making you new videos, 
It's it's not <laughs> just that you're you're new. It's just maybe it's just part of the process sometimes. What was it that I yelled? I I don't know. Something about being mad that you can't read because you learned it in first grade. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah, I wasn't reading the line correctly, or I wasn't be, I wasn't able to say it. Yeah, I was like I learned how to talk in first grade. <laughs> yeah, like the difficulties don't magically disappear. Mm-hmm. There was a there was a video I made last year. I think it was like 13 science back study tips in 2019. So five years into my YouTube career, uh, there's a comment. I was like, it sounds like, you know, after tip number 10, you must have taken a nap because your voice just gets so much calmer. Uh, I didn't take a nap. I had had so much trouble filming the lines for that video that I had gone hoarse and I was so frustrated. I was about to throw something. So I decided to turn the camera off and like go take a walk and just chill for three hours. And then I came back and I was more relaxed so that's why, like, after, like tip 10, I'm like, tip number 10 is to study with a cheat card thing. And then tip number 11, I'm like, all right, guys, now tip number 11 is, uh, you know, take <laughs> The a, key to take calm is to be filled with rage and then and go for a walk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you can do it. Yeah, exactly. The funny thing is podcasting, I have no problem saying things because it's off the cuff. It's not scripted. I'm talking to somebody here. Yeah. But uh, I have found that talking to a camera is just this weird thing that humans weren't like designed to do, especially when you try to write it out so you can script your thoughts and make it more well thought out than it would be if it was off the top of your head. But then you're just trying to say something you wrote, which is not natural, which is is pretty difficult. We Mm -hmm. run into that on the podcast. If we outline it too thoroughly and it's like a PowerPoint presentation, it's, it sounds terrible. It feels uncomfortable. Yeah, it doesn't feel good to do. It doesn't feel good for us. I'm sure it doesn't feel as good for the listeners. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be a robot. Something I've learned, and anybody who's done a public speaking class can tell you this, is uh, it's very helpful to try to film a video one day, scrap that take, come back the next day, do it again. Mm. A good night's sleep after a good practice run, it'll, it'll come out like butter. Uh, it's just, I'm not always on a schedule that will permit that. And, uh, I don't always want to film a video twice. You know, it's a lot of invested. Effort. Yeah. You can't, you can't film it twice if you're working in the last, mm-hmm. the last minute before Most you get to publish it. And I've found that like a lot of times, especially with the, uh, I think it was the online classes video. I came out of filming and I felt like it was garbage. I was like, I, my, my eloquence was bad. My diction was bad. It felt very frustrating. I think this is going to be a bad video. Tony puts it together. It actually sounds fine. So you don't always need to scrap a take just because it felt bad. It might look fine on the camera. Could just be your mood after mm-hmm. being stressed out recording it. And then yeah, it's like the fine. viewer is not always going to see your mood. They don't feel what you're feeling. Like you might've been able to muscle through the performance and it was fine. Um, but sometimes, you know, if it's like, this is just crap, I can't do it. Muscle through it, sleep on it, come back, do it again. Cool. You know, I've always found that doing it again, it's just like, wow, this is so much easier. It's because your your brain consolidates memories when you're sleeping and it refreshes you. Yeah. So, yeah, it's useful. Okay. How, how much more time do we have for questions? Uh, I don't know. Do you want to just like crush through these last ones? Yeah. Or, or I just, we- I didn't keep track of how long we've been recording is all. I don't, don't want it to be a three-hour podcast. Well, so I can already see the last question on here. We've already answered it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because the last question is, how did you find your first 5,000 followers? Oh, good. How much did you sacrifice the algorithm to find them? The answer is your firstborn child and also 
my answer is the same. Okay. You know, target a niche and do it and really then, well. Uh, we got, what do you think is the most harmful misconception about succeeding? It sounds like uh, you were talking about how you thought being a big channel would solve all your problems. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is that you're going to make a lot of money based on views. I think we talked about this recently on another podcast. Um, go watch my make money online video because I break it down, but views are not like a strong indicator of income. You can get a million views doing a video on Paris Hilton's new hairdo, and you could make the same amount of money on ads that my friend Matt makes doing 5,000 views on how to close your pool because 5,000 pool owners who are rich are watching his video and yeah, a they, million they buy stuff. randos who are interested in celebrity gossip are watching yours. And if I'm an advertiser, I don't know what I can advertise to a million randos who are interested in celebrity gossip. Pepsi? Yeah, it's not know, like insurance? niche enough for a clear. Mm-hmm. But if it's Matt's video, how to close your pool? Cool. I'm going to sell winter pool covers. I'm going to run an ad on Matt's video and like maybe 10% of those people are going to buy my pool cover. So, yeah. Um, you know, don't think that a lot of views is going to make a sustainable business for you. And realize that the algorithm is fickle. So I've noticed this with a lot of standard creators. They're, they're pretty smart with this. They realize that uh, just because the algorithm is giving you a lot of views now doesn't mean it's always going to do that. So you need to be thinking, how can I build a sustainable business if I want to keep independently creating things for a living? Yeah, don't rest on your laurels and assume mm-hmm. you're good. Yeah, think about merchandise products courses um how can you parlay your youtube career into maybe consulting or speaking um yeah could you start a podcast could you start a corresponding content website there's all kinds of things you could do yeah what if youtube died tomorrow would yep. you be out of everything mm-hmm. yeah a lot of people put their eggs in one basket you know which to be fair is kind of what people do with jobs like it, there's, there's no is. real job security in this it, country it is yeah um but if you if you if you're building a sustainable business, I can tell you this: if my YouTube channel got shut down overnight, we'd be fine. It would be tight for a while, but it wouldn't mean all of our income would be gone overnight. Yeah, because we make income through this podcast, we make income through our website, we make uh, some amount of income through Nebula. Yeah. So like, for some reason, I don't know, I uploaded like th- all the Die Hard movies because I'm <laughs> stupid. <laughs> I got three strikes. This will get me. This will get me good watch time. I can tell. (laughs) And they're like, "Well, you're an idiot, and we're shutting your channel down because you uploaded three Die Hard movies." Um, actually, I'll. I'll, There are four. There are four Die Hard movies. Well, that's why they shut you down. Actually, is because you missed their favorite. (laughs) Uploaded the fourth one with (laughs) Timothy Oliphant and Justin Long. I love that one. Has he fights a jet on foot? It's great. Uh, boy, yeah. But you know, we would be fine. Um would everyone get to make the same amount of money they're making now? Probably not unless we like really hustle to replace that income instantly. Yeah. But like we have worked to build multiple income streams and when you build multiple income streams, you have uh sustainability, you know, you're able to take a punch if you are punched. Yeah. And there will likely be punches mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. Don't put your eggs in one basket. Um, Okay, what else we got? Yeah, what, what single factor do you think most helped your channel quickly succeed where others don't? Passion mashing. When I started, I didn't make just I didn't just make study videos. I made study videos that in uh, kind of like brought in video games and movies and cool things that I was interested in, and that helped me stand out. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, cool, there, a cool combination mm-hmm. niche. There weren't a lot of people doing study tips videos, but I still felt that if I did it with kind of like mashed in my other interests, there are going to be a lot of other people out there who also share my interests and they're going to pay attention. Yeah, throw some niche nerdy jokes in here and mm-hmm. then the, the some people that are like, <laughs> I learned something and also I love that show. Yep. They might watch the next video. Bill Nye knew it. You know, he made an entertaining show. It wasn't just like today we're going to talk about covalent bonds. Yeah. There's wacky fart noises in it too. So that was a big thing. Um, Consistency was a big thing. And 1% rule was a huge thing. Always be looking for something that you can improve each thing you make. Five years from now, you're going to be a pro in so many areas. Yeah. Okay. How would or did you balance starting a YouTube channel while also having a day job or perhaps university with CIG in your case? Um, I started my YouTube channel in earnest after I had already gone full time with CIG. So really it was just balancing YouTube with the other content production and CIG duties I had. So I'll answer this from the blogging perspective. I treated it like another part-time job. I had a schedule, so I would just write. And a lot of it was like writing on nights and weekends when my friends were playing video games. Yeah. So there was a lot of sacrifice. Um, I would say the biggest factor in my success is I wanted it bad enough that like, you know, you guys are in the apartment living room like, hey, we're watching uh, Hobo with a Shotgun again for some reason. Do you want to come out? And I'm like, nope. (laughs) This time we're watching it in (laughs) slow-mo. Nope. Sorry, I'm writing this article on personal website examples. Got to write it. Yeah, you had to stick to it to. when it was uncomfortable. Yep. That's that's the biggest thing. Stick to it when it's uncomfortable. If you want it bad enough, you're going to do it. You know, but it can help to treat it like a part-time job. Maybe schedule like, hey, I've got an article to do this week. Cool. Or treat it like another class. Yeah, and treat your own deadlines. If you say you've got an article coming this week, don't go, eh, mm-hmm. well, I suppose I could do it. Because if you're your own boss and you're letting yourself off, then, yeah. then you could do that forever. We love to prioritize things that society has told us to do, things that other people have scheduled for us. But if you want to start something, you should consider that just as important as the other things you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't, then you shouldn't be surprised when you don't succeed at that thing. And when you do succeed at school or your full-time job or whatever, because that's what you prioritized. Yeah. If you have a job, even if you don't necessarily like it and you go to it on time, you're taking it a level of seriously and mm-hmm. you should at least be taking your other stuff that seriously. But sometimes it'll feel like, well, of course I had to go to my job on time. They would have punished me otherwise. Yeah. You, you have to find your own internal motivation that serves as a sort of punishment, feeling bad that you didn't get it done or. Yep. I saw definitely a thread harder. in the music production subreddit and this guy was like really frustrated. He's like, I feel like it should be possible for me to build a music career while having a day job and still being able to hang out with my friends and do whatever I want. And there was a reply in there um, from a guy who was like, I know quite a few people who have transitioned from their day jobs to being musicians full time in one way or the other game, soundtrack composers, actual artists. I know of nobody who has made the successful transition who didn't give up every second of free time that they didn't have dedicated to their day job trying to make it in music. 
Yeah, you gotta gotta give up a lot of the free time. Mm-hmm. And I would like to point out that I'm quite sure that Tom did not mean actual artists, as in game designers or game designer soundtrack artists weren't actual artists. I meant like people who make their living as a recording artist, yeah, like touring, selling merch. Yeah. That kind oh, of I thing. know what you meant. I'm just like, I'm just preempting. We love you. True. We yeah. love you, game soundtrack makers. I listen to a lot oh, of yeah. your works. Hollow Knight soundtrack. Some of the greatest art ever created. Definitely so, meant. Yeah, I didn't mean that you're like not yeah, an artist. If you I mean, because if you got a cool game soundtrack uh, music person out there who doesn't speak English as a first language, they may not catch. Good point. That what what was actually meant was like so a independent musician. You see versus their face. Freelance composer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Many people. The kind would where say, your own brand is a little yes. different. Many people would say I would accept either one and call myself a professional musician. Yeah, I try to catch stuff like that because I know that there are a lot of people uh, that listen that aren't from. Yeah. Thing, I get questions that aren't English native, so it's like I got I to gotta read it and not mis- miscommunicate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe maybe YouTube doesn't require quite as much dedication as being a musician. I would say that making it in music is one of the hardest things you can do because music has been incredibly commoditized. Uh, there's huge competition for people wanting to get into it. And it's one of those things where people tend to listen to what's popular. So breaking out is really hard. Yeah. Maybe if actually I'm, I'm going to, I will make this statement. It is much easier to become a productivity YouTuber than it is to become a musician. Ironically, you must be much more productive to be a professional musician than to be a productivity <laughs> YouTuber. Um, I know this for a fact. If you go and look at the top videos for the top 10 productivity YouTube channels and you essentially copy them, uh, you're probably going to be successful. Yeah. That's just kind of how YouTube works. A lot of people copy what works and it somehow works again. And I think it's because people, what they really want deep down is something very similar to something they already liked with a bit of a remix tweak to it. Yeah. So it's like, well, I've already seen Matt's minimalist department tour, but this guy is a different minimalist department tour. And yes, it's the exact same, <laughs> like basically all white kitchen with nothing on the counters. Wow. But it's a different guy. This lack of stuff seems somehow wiser than this other lack of stuff. Mm-hmm. And hey, I don't, I don't blame anybody for doing it, cause like, the opportunity's there. Go for it. Reach out. Take it. It's my responsibility to keep pushing my production value so I can compete with anybody who decides that hey, it's quite easy to make a productivity channel. Yeah, it's your job to maintain that and not let mm-hmm. somebody overtake you. So that's the yeah. tough part, really. You got to be scared. Yep. So, you know, depending on the niche that you pick. Um, also, let's let's be real here, depending on your uh, demographic situation. I think that's actually a thing, you know, and we can't just like pretend it doesn't exist. I, everybody, everybody who has their hidden biases or whatever, their, their preferences for who they want to watch, that's going to factor into it somehow. Mm hmm. I'm certain that there are certain channels that make more sense with like different clothing styles yeah. than different other, all sorts of weird superficial stuff that's going to accidentally make its way into viewership. Yeah. And you know, like I say this as like a white dude, it's easier, especially to make like a self-development channel. There aren't a lot of them out there who aren't white dudes. And, uh, there's, there's various factors we could, we could postulate on as to why that is, but to try to ignore that fact, I think would be wrong. Yeah. And not acknowledging it Mm -hmm. would be ridiculous. It absolutely has an effect. It absolutely does. So there are varying levels of difficulty for making it, 
depending on your, you know, who you are, um, depending on the niche that you pick and depending on time. Reality made me sad for a second. (laughs) Yep. But, you know, we as a society should be working to even that out and help. But um, the individual has to say, well, there are certain things I can't control and there are certain things I can't. So let me focus on the things I can't control. Yeah. And what you can control yeah. is, all right, you, you want to be a musician, you want to build a successful YouTube channel, there may be sacrifices you have to make. You may not be able to watch Hobo with a shotgun with your friends in the living room in your college apartment. Yeah. It's okay. That movie was that movie was all right, but I'm not into uh, weird... Hobos with grind. shotguns? What is, what is it called? It's I like, don't have any it's idea, like honestly. It's like B-movie horror. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm sure people think that movie's really good, but it's not my cup of tea. Yeah. <sighs> okay. The next is, how do you deal with negative comments? I know we touched on this a little bit. They didn't earn my respect. Sometimes yeah. I'll snarkily comment just back because for my own satisfaction. But uh, but truthfully, it doesn't actually do any. Yeah. We've talked about this on good. the podcast before. One thing I find quite useful is to try to decouple the intention from what was actually said. If I can do that, I might be able to take something useful out of what they said. Maybe they said it in a really crappy way, but maybe they were like, hey, you look away from the camera a lot. Maybe fix your eye contact, weirdo. And I'm like, okay, well, that was mean. But uh, yeah, you're actually right. I kind of do look away from the camera every two seconds. Maybe I should work on that. But uh, if it's truly just negative, if they're truly just trying to tear me down, they have not earned my respect. They are not worthy of my time. They are not worthy of my attention. Go become worthy. Yeah, you lift have, the you hammer. Have limited attention. Go lift the hammer. I have all this content. I've tried to help you as much as I can. Now it's on you. Yeah. Okay. The final question uh-huh. is: Do you have to show your face, and what are the pros or cons to showing or not showing your face in videos? Okay, you do not have to show your face. Um. You know, I could name a zillion successful channels that don't show their face. Wendover Productions, Real Engineering, TierZoo, Polymatter, a ton of channels in standard. They're just voiceover with animation and B-roll. Um, you know, a lot of the biggest channels don't have their face on the camera. So if you don't want to have your face in the camera, don't. I've seen channels that do text-to-speech and still get views. You know, like there's a lot you can do to make a video without even (sighs) I'll say this. You can build a very successful YouTube channel, never owning a camera. I would postulate that you probably need to own a microphone and either a computer or a smartphone, but you do not need to own a camera to be a YouTuber. Yeah, Um, there is a benefit to showing your face, though. Humans connect to other humans. And when you see someone's face, you make a better connection. I think there is something to being an on-camera creator that can help with engagement. Like, hey, subscribe to my channel. You point at the screen. Hey, you know, like this video. Um, And I think that it does boost sponsor conversions. Yeah. And I think like if you were an off-camera creator, it might be worth working on your on-camera presence if you were to start getting brand deals. Yeah. It's maybe, I don't, I don't know if I have like enough data to say that for a fact, but that's my hunch. 
Yeah, and and with your face, like you said, people are going to connect you more. People are going to if they feel so, if they feel you're attractive in any way, or perhaps look authoritative, or perhaps make make maybe you make hilarious facial expressions while you're streaming your games, or anything like that, and they can connect with you more. Or if or if like they like the stuff that's in your room, mm-hmm. or anything like that, and connect with what you're saying. The the only con would be like we were just talking about if hidden biases are against you. Yeah. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. When I look at on-camera creators versus off-camera creators in terms of like like fan bases who are just like super down to buy merch, like, I don't know, just like super, super involved, it seems like it's mostly on-camera creators. You know, people like Markiplier, Jacksepticeye, like those people... They do like these charity drives. They raise so much money. Like people are just super engaged. Yeah, I think there is something to be said there for for being on camera. Um, not enough though that you should like force yourself to do it if you're uncomfortable doing it. If you want to make something and you don't want to put yourself out there and you don't want it to be about your face, then that's fine. You know. I think I've seen people have like a little character or avatar that mm-hmm. shows up in videos as a stand-in. Absolutely. Yeah, like you could do that or you could just not even worry about it. Like Wendover Productions, there's no avatar, there's no character. Sam is almost never on camera. He's on camera on his his like personal channel, Sam from Wendover, but uh that main channel, it's just animations and B-roll. Just the content. He's a voice, disembodied voice in the void. Uh, then you can do the whole secret thing like uh, various musicians do, like Daft Punk. That's true. And, you know, there may be reasons to do it. Like, I don't know any creators who do this for this reason, but, um, like, I had a female friend who basically, like, taught herself to sound like a guy in online games because she got way less crap from, um, I will say this, weak male gamers. Yeah, get get stronger than that. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm sad about reality again. Yeah, twice, reality is twice some, in one podcast. Sometimes. Unfortunately, YouTube, you're a person on the internet, and in in truth, success in that does require navigating the downsides of human societies. What are you gonna do? Yep. Yeah, that's that, that's the problem. I don't if know a wanna, good way to. If you want to put stuff out away. there, if you want to make a living from putting things out there, then you have to realize that uh, the the thing that helps you make your living is an audience. Which is made up of human beings. It is made of people, unfortunately. It, it's very easy to forget that when it's like kind of like all brought down to just a number. Yeah, they're Here's just the faceless comments. and. But every single one of those people is a human, which means a lot of things. It means like, number one, like you should respect that fact. If you have a small audience, if you have a thousand subscribers, that's a thousand people. That's huge. But also, as your audience grows among those people are going to be some people who don't like you, who maybe don't like anybody who get off on making other people sad and making fun of people, you know? And I've learned that like, that's just a cost of doing business. Like if you run a McDonald's, If you run a fast food restaurant, one of the costs of doing business is sometimes people are going to go in and they're going to use a bathroom and they're going to miss. Yeah, that's, that's a an, cost of that's doing an business. Interesting way of viewing it. It's 
and businesses factor in things like theft, shoplifting, and mm-hmm. it's factored in. They expect it. They yep. insure for it. They're ready for it. I forget the the word. There's a word that like Walmart and big retailers use for like the inventory that they have. They know statistically will be stolen. Yeah, they don't lie to themselves. They don't mm-hmm. say there's no chance a thief would come into our store. They just they yep. get ready for it and they have a strategy. I'm sure they're mad about it, but like yeah, I'm sure they I'm don't sure the love CEO it. of Walmart when something but, gets stolen, it's like. But if you're doing a business, if it's a business, your business strategy is Mm -hmm. to accept the truth for what it is and work with it. But also, for that reason, I think your comment section is part of your business. And if I ran a brick and mortar business, I would not be letting people come in and spray paint like dicks on the side of my business. Yeah. I'd wash that off. Yeah. So if there's a crappy comment on your YouTube video, delete it ban that person i have like zero tolerance if someone's a troll like and i catch it and like you know i don't look at comments that often so i'm sure a lot of them slip through but if i catch it just like looking through my comments on a video they're just hidden yeah i, I there's mean no what is second it? chance it's like what are you gonna lose yeah you're there their respect they already didn't respect you nope come in with respect this is your house now mm-hmm you're, you're not losing anything that's like truly a value by losing your ability to comment on my channel so goodbye makes my life a lot easier i have a lot less mental turmoil makes me more able to serve the audience who actually cares yeah and that's that i that's what i'm gonna leave on think about the audience that you really want to serve because you put things out there in public you let anybody see it there are gonna be people who don't deserve you watching anyway commenting anyway those are not the people you need to focus on focus on the people who actually care who you can serve you can change their lives you can entertain them you can help them have a better day whatever it is those are the people you should focus on yeah there's some good there's some good ones out there good followers waiting for your stuff absolutely all right well that is i think the end of the episode we're gonna go play magic yeah oh yeah so uh this is episode four of the Inforium, so you can go over to theinforium.com slash four to see any show notes that we may have mentioned. We'll have our uh, our, our our show notes guy, Guillerme. We'll link those up. Hi, Guillerme. Hello. How's it going? Um, hopefully, I made it easy to find everything that I had mentioned because I think there were certain things I like the Notion thing. I don't know if it would be easy to find if I didn't like say there's a Notion template gallery. So check that out uh, if you are curious about anything we mentioned here. Otherwise, if you haven't subscribed to this show already, you can do so on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or YouTube or Stitcher. And I, I could probably just go on for half an hour with podcast player names. <laughs> yeah, we should just record the audio of you listing them all and then play it and fast forward. I could. Yeah, I could do that. Uh, it would be like a, um, it'd be like like a prescription the, drug yeah, it'd commercial. It would be like the asterisk at the bottom of your commercial. This drug may cause certain side effects, such as death. And worse. And worse. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Ask your doctor today. <laughs> Ask your doctor today if this drug and its associated death is right for you. <laughs> uh okay if you want to support this show the best way to do so is probably just to share it with a friend let them know what your favorite episode is but if you are an apple podcasts user there is also a feature in the apple podcast store where you can rate and review a podcast which is pretty cool so check that out if you are curious my camera's beeping so i'm wondering why it's beeping probably probably record time four minutes oh boy we talked forever uh (laughs) well i still gotta do the ads so thanks for listening and stay cute bye